Welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the 516th show, and our guest for today is Dave Baker, Operations Manager and Program Director for KALA Radio at St. Ambrose University, and we're going to be talking about a history of ham radio. Joining us in the second segment of the show are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. To begin with, hi Dave, nice to see you <laughs> as a guest rather than a producer. Well, this has only happened one other time. I've been a, a decider or a history buff before in the past, but right. it's good to be here. Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah. Um, so the first segment is called Farouk Dinar, and we just want to give our listeners a little bit of background to, to start us, ourselves off. So... Can you give us some basic information on what ham radio is and how it works? Well, uh, ham or amateur radio is a non-commercial radio service that uh, you have to be licensed to use in the United States of America and every country on earth, almost every country has those rules. There are a few exceptions where a certain uh, individual controls uh, the amateur radio uh, bands. Uh, the wavelengths that, that people can operate on. It's a communication uh, capability that people have. They can use the radio spectrum uh, using equipment. You don't necessarily have to buy brand new equipment. There's a lot of uh, used equipment out there. People can talk to each other, uh, communicate uh, public service information, emergency information. There are a lot of new things that have happened to ham radio since it first began when it was just a when it was an infant it was just the idea of someone tapping on a, a morse code key a code key from a telegraph key from point a to point b but many things have happened since then but but the interesting thing is with the roots of the hobby of amateur radio we still use that telegraph key and there are people like me who know morse code I can still get on the key and I can communicate with someone right now. I guarantee there are people on there right now chomping at the bit to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so not a lot of the public knows about ham radio, but at least most of the public of our age remembers CB radio. Sure. Um, what's the differences between the two? Because I think people probably think they're interchangeable. Well, the CB service became immensely popular in the 60s and really super popular in the 1970s yeah. with we, we all remember the cw mccall song convoy and 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 truckers on channel 19 wow i even knew the channel uh, so cb or citizens band radio is a 40 channel uh radio service later it was added some sideband capabilities so there ended up being upper sideband and lower sideband associated with all of those channels but it was channelized and it was a way for the public to communicate from point a to point b uh, mostly in town line of sight families communicating with each other or uh, in the uh, business world it could have been used for businesses to keep track of their uh, trucks that were out uh, or trucks to communicate with each other on the highway this is pre-cell phone era right. and so uh you could hear uh and communicate back and forth even at four watts five watts input um and we're talking about watts of effective radiated power these trucks could talk to each other uh sometimes 15 to 20 miles uh which if they if there was something up ahead that they legitimately wanted to communicate about let's say there was a, an accident on the highway 
It was a great thing to listen to. Eventually, it became a way for uh, people to discover where law enforcement was running radar and so they could slow down. But it was also a safety factor because people did slow down when they they knew law enforcement was coming. CB uh, at one point was licensed and it it exploded so much people bought CBs and they didn't order the licenses. So you could go to the store and buy the radio and you were supposed to order the license and it just it got out of hand. And the Federal Communications Commission, to be honest, I don't know what their official story is. They just couldn't keep up with the amount of CBs that were on the air. There were just so many of them. And so those bands today, those that frequency range is pretty much a wasteland. I mean, there are people on there that operate on there, and uh, there's actually a nuance. They're, they're trying to change uh, one of the modes on CB to frequency modulation, which sounds better. It's a cleaner, a cleaner, less staticky uh, way of communicating. But uh, by and large, truckers use cell phones these days to communicate with each other uh, or back to the fleet. Or sometimes they use another radio service called the GMRS, General uh, uh, Radio Service. So, uh, but anyway, the public would know about CB and what the difference between CB and ham radio. So CB, very low power, channelized, amateur radio, ham radio. You can use thousands and thousands of frequencies and we can run up to um, uh, 1500 watts input legally, uh, depending on your license class. And we take tests and exams to get our licenses. So you have to... uh, you have to take a license. I'm not even at the highest license class. Uh, there's there's the uh, introductory level. There's a technician level. Uh, I'm the general class. Then there's a, there's an extra class license. Um, the extra class can use all the privileges and everything that's that's out there. The general class is a little bit less restricted. There are other license classes that are still in there that were grandfathered in, but uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a wonderful hobby because. It's unlimited what you can do, and you can experiment, too, with ham radio. Okay. Well, we have a lot more to talk (laughs) about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In the early hours after the tsunamis, it was ham radio that was on the air saving lives. When Florida was ripped by hurricanes, the hams were there. In the critical moments after the attack of 9-11, it was the hams who coordinated emergency messages. Can you hear us now? Ham radio works when other communications don't. To learn how you can become a ham radio operator, call the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, at 1-800-326-3942. A public service message from your community radio station, KALA Davenport, and the St. Ambrose University Amateur Radio Club, K-Zero-S-A-U. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show called The kitchen table and our guest for today is dave baker operations manager and program director for kala radio at st ambrose university and we're going to be talking about the history of ham radio our history buffs for today are brett menard and rick sweet brett start us off gladly so dave over the break we heard an advertisement talking about ham radio's use in various natural disasters so what is 
first off, how does that work? And then what's the virtue of ham radio versus my cell phone? Well, yeah, that's a very good point. And I think some younger uh, people, when they're looking at ham radio, think, why would I get that when I could use a cell phone um, to communicate with someone? But in this case, if the power's down, if the power grid's down, uh, or in the case of 9-11, when the World Trade Center towers went down, one of the the towers had uh, amateur radio equipment on it i'm sure some repeaters and and all the uh there was cell phone stuff up there there were television there were radio stations that their towers were up there on top of that um hams can keep communicating especially on battery power and there's lots of battery power out there and we can charge our batteries through solar means as long as we've got the sun um and yeah that's that's how we can continue to operate uh if repeaters a repeat a repeater takes a very weak signal and retransmits it at a higher power, if a repeater is on emergency power, uh, you can take a very very low powered signal and it can basically be heard citywide, especially in a city like New York City if you, you had a, a big coverage area. So yeah, you can continue operating in an emergency. So when a bad storm comes through, like the derecho. Uh, situation. There were cell phone towers that were down everywhere because there was just no power or there was damage. But uh, the hams could continue communicating. And and when you get into the short wave side, so, so there, there's different kinds of ham radio. We're talking about there's the HF, high frequency short wave radio that uh, you can communicate not only uh, regional distances, but, but internationally, um, depending on conditions, it's not always. I can't always get on the radio and talk to China immediately. It's not. It's not an instantaneous thing. Um, but uh, it, in case of an, a regional emergency, let's say New Madrid fault happens, and we have an earthquake, and the power grids go down all over the place, I can get on my HF radio with a couple of car batteries in parallel. And meaning I'm still running 12 volts, but I've got a little bit more amperage to run this thing and I can get on the air and I can talk on this band called 40 meters. And I guarantee I can talk to somebody there. There's a net called mid cars. It's a Midwest amateur radio service. And I could talk to people of seven or eight States around here and find out what's going on, at least get information. So, well, yeah. and you mentioned that. And I remember seeing on, uh, coverage with the war in Ukraine, there were people who were picking up uh, radio signals uh, from Russian bombers uh, Mm -hmm. here in the United States and using that as kind of a warning to start the air raid sirens over in Ukraine. Right. Well, we can hear, yeah, we could hear traffic like that. Uh, The, the, you know, you bring up, you bring up war in Ukraine and global tensions and, and geopolitical uh, situations have long fed into uh, the, the nuances of ham radio. I, I mean, for a, there was a time when talking to Cuba seemed like it was um, possibly an international incident, uh, even though it wasn't illegal. I remember, uh, we exchanged, by the way, mail. Uh, we have postcards. And we're, we're proud to show off our postcards of our station and then the stations that we talk to, they like to send postcards. Not every ham does that, but I do. And uh, there's, I've got them from all over the world and they can be very colorful and fun. Well, 
I, I sent some mail to Cuba and, and the post office here in Davenport said, I don't think you can be mailing things to Cuba. And I said, it's ham radio related. And, and uh, sometimes you don't hear back from some of the stations sure. because um, they, you have to put the proper postage in there. And, and, and uh, there is something, uh, kind of an unwritten uh, law in the hobby now, is that you put what's called green stamps in. And green stamps are dollar bills. So you want a QSL card from me? And if you're a, a guy in Poland and you're on the air all the time, and it'd be very expensive to be buying postage all the time for this. Right. Um, so you send them a couple of green stamps and then you get your card. Um, 90 some odd percent of, of people are, are pretty honest and we'll get them back. But yeah, the, back to the geopolitical, we knock down, and you mentioned Ukraine, we're knocking down those walls. We talk to people who some people would consider to be an enemy. We don't sit and talk about politics on the air. Very rarely have I ever heard an international station talking to someone here about politics. Often we exchange weather conditions. How strong is your signal? Oh, you sound good. Um, how are you today? Um, what's your name? What's your equipment? What kind of radio do you have? That's interesting. Um, and, and that's about where it ends. Uh, usually we don't get into, you know, well, I hope your country gets its freedom soon or something <laughs> like that. Right. You know? uh, we, don't, we don't say that. But I've talked... I've talked to, to uh, 150 whatever countries, and uh, you know, I've talked to people, I'm sure, with different political beliefs than I have, but we all meet on one common ground, and that's amateur radio. And China was very reluctant in the 1970s to allow, I mean, thank goodness for Richard Nixon's ping pong diplomacy, to, to at least open doors so we could talk to China and China warmed up to ham radio and said, oh, maybe we should allow that. It's, it would show off our technology. And, and so it was a big deal when the first Chinese stations went on the air. Um, the, the, I mentioned before we talked about uh, countries having rules about who can be on the air. Uh, North Korea is a prime example of no one is allowed on amateur radio because there's only one person who technically holds a license, and that's Kim Jong-un. And he, I'm sure he didn't pass a test. <laughs> yeah. And I bet right. you, I bet you, if Kim was here right now, I can send Morse code better and faster than he ever could. And I could pass a ham test versus him any day of the week. But, <laughs> but because he is the ruler supreme, he, he holds that license for the, the country. Once in a while, they'll allow someone from France to travel into North Korea and operate. But that's a very special condition. Uh, those countries are what we call rare, a rare, a rare country. Um, there were people here in the Quad Cities I know who talked to North Vietnam when North during Vietnam existed mm -hmm. during the war. Um, there have been many, many cases, and there are lots of guys around here that have worked more countries than me. Worked, meaning we've talked to. That's a that's a term we use, but over 300 in some cases, or they're on what's called the DX or distance honor roll from the American Radio Relay League. Um, I'm just a lowly guy with 150 some odd countries, but it's it's no big deal for me to get on, and I can I can talk to anybody in Europe. I bet today if I went home and flipped it on and had the time and and started tuning around. Um, but back to back to uh, countries that don't exist anymore, like Rhodesia. Right, uh, Central African Empire. Right, uh, there there are all sorts of cases like that where P 
people have talked to those countries. They have the card from the country and those count. And those are very rare. And of course you can't get those today. Sure. So the guys that have been around for a while, they've talked to those places and, um, but it is, it is a ton of fun. As you can tell, I really love collecting the cards. I love talking to the people. I love the fact that I say, I just talked to, uh, uh, St. Helena Island. Uh, they get postage there once a month and St. Helena is off. Uh, it's in the Southern Atlantic. It's an Island right. off of Africa. And I, I just think it's so fun when you get something like that, you get to talk to someone there and you think, wow, you get mail once a month. Right. And, uh, you know, we're, 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 with, we take everything for granted here, right? With portraits of Napoleon, I believe. Yeah. Of course. Hey, Dave, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I have a question, but before I do that, uh, yeah. it, we did look at some of our, our statistics for listeners, and we had one in North Korea. Mm-hmm. So apparently, Kim is Kim is listening, listening in. Listening well, Kim, in. And Kim welcome is welcome. To the show, Kim. He could be welcome, <laughs> and if if he would like to get on his ham radio and talk to us, we'll be more than happy. I would love that because then that would that would give me a new country. I I don't not. Right. And we could talk yeah. about food supply in Korea. But well, my we, question, yeah, Dave. Yes. My question, Dave, <laughs> yeah. is since we're talking about the history history right of uh, ham radio, and you are part of history. Why and how did you get involved in this? Where did it so start? very good question. I've always been interested in radios. Um, I would take radios apart when I was a kid. My father would just want to wring my neck. I would, I would uh, <laughs> and tear put it back together. I would tear radios. I'd have radios, and I knew to unplug them, but I would pull the coils apart and he'd say why did you do that and i'd show him say look i just took this all apart well i i wanted to see the parts and the and how it worked i was very interested when the television didn't work and dad would go to the drugstore to get tubes tubes. right so i really enjoyed really really enjoyed that that aspect of fixing things and making things work and things that were not working so that's my childhood when i got to middle school junior it was junior high school at that time our industrial arts department had a ham radio club at Wood hmm. Junior High in Davenport, That's Iowa. Ted Fife taught industrial arts. Great guy. Um, he, Dave Scott, uh, were there at Wood, and I just uh, joined the club as a seventh grader. Uh, I was, what, 11, 12 years old in the club, and Ted helped us all get licensed those who who did the work we had to we had to, we just didn't get a license we had sure. to we had to follow the rules and pass a test and back then the morse code was a requirement they've eliminated that now but uh, all of us had to learn and receive, send and receive morse code so, so every morning before school you could hear you know coming out of the, this industrial arts room and I, i'm sure my fellow students thought okay what kind of detention what kind of detention or punishment are they doing for right, you right but that's how i got started and so i was officially licensed at age 13 early january 1980 i was uh officially licensed um you know equipment back then it was i looked at the prices of things it was you know for a 13 year old there were new radios, five, six hundred, seven hundred dollars. Hold on to your seat. Some of them now are fifteen and twenty thousand dollars. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just like any kind of a, a a truck or something like that, or a sports car. You can buy the best, and there are some really fancy radios. So we we were all pretty smart kids. We we those who, of us who got on the air, we got used things that worked pretty good. So there are these things called ham fests. 
Uh, some of my classmates in college used to think I'd say I'm going to a ham fest. Couple of couple of girls <laughs> right, bacon, I knew pork chops. Uh, that's what a couple of girls right. a couple of girls I knew in college. They said, "Why do you go to a place and you eat ham all day?" And it's like, no, 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 no. It's for amateur radio operators. It's a swap meet, so it's a flea market, if you will. And people have used things, so you could literally have gotten on the air back in that era for between a hundred and two hundred dollars. Um, that it's a little bit of money and you wouldn't have a brand new radio, but you didn't need a brand new radio to do what you needed to do. And boom, you're on the air. And the idea of having your own station at home at that age, wow, that was really important for me. So that's how I got going. So Dave, my question is, and and I'm going to come back to the commentary about cell phones. So most of us, most of our listeners think of communication as on a cell phone or a telephone where you're one person sends to somebody else and right. it's a it's a closed system right but ham radio is the absolute opposite of it's that open, right yeah. and so what about things like privacy and you talked about government regulations how does a how does a government take away someone's ability to operate in a system that's so open well and that's a very very good point because there are um, so you, you're very correct. People can listen to everything you say. You've got to be careful what you say. As an amateur operator, I'm prohibited from doing any business communications. So I cannot call Rick up and say, Rick, I need part A for a widget. Uh, here's $7.95. It's on my dresser. Go buy that widget for me. There's even been some questions. You can con- you can connect the United States telephone system into amateur radio and it's called phone patch you can take you back and that was a miracle back in the day for this to happen you might have seen the television show mash they did some of that where they would call home to to their family members and they'd say we've got a ham operator in hawaii who's got somebody in san francisco who's got a telephone connected into the ham radio and we're able to make this connection and that that's kind of how that would happen um there were people using phone patch uh, ordering pizzas and that is kind of a gray area it's like is that business communication right. that kind of is but you're also kind of hungry so are you <laughs> are you helping so right. um but yeah then we we talk about privacy and what people can talk about there's lots of questions about first amendment on sure. the air there are people who do speak their mind and speak their piece uh every night of the week um they are on a band called uh, 70, there's also well, 40 meters and 75 meters. And when we say meters, that's how long a w- wavelength is. So every pulse that's coming out of your your radio, your your device from your antenna, is that that many, 75 meters, Distance that's from one- from peak to peak. From peak to peak, 75 meters per, per pulse. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way up to wherever it can go to. And this is the complicated part. It's gonna hit the ionosphere in some frequency ranges and it's going to hit different layers of the ionosphere sometimes and that's this is our upper upper atmosphere we don't see these charged ionized particles but they're there i guarantee they're out there they're out there and uh at night they change there's the e and the the e layer and the f layer they they go up very high and we can't get to those on certain frequency ranges and it's like bye bye we can't communicate right. any longer d layer comes down uh, and we're able to bounce our signals off of that. Uh, but anyway, people talk about what they want to talk about. And 
I have a hard problem with kind of what has happened if there's any any problem i've got with ham radio is is that is people use foul language some people do most people don't sure but there are people who use foul language and they also they speak politically and usually they speak politically uh supporting right-wing sometimes reactionary policies that's what i hear and I think that's uninviting and unwelcoming, I think, to to newcomers, especially if that's your first experience. If your first experience and you're 13 years old and hearing some people cuss and then they're talking politics, it's a, that's a turnoff. I mean, you can do what you want to do with that. But sometimes it's some of these people, it's the same people on every day. And sure. they camp out at sure. one frequency, even though it's the public's frequencies. So that's a bit of a bit of an issue. And I don't know if the Federal Communications Commission, which regulates us, knows what to do. But a very good point on, yeah, what do you do with First Amendment rights? Uh, but you got to be careful what you say. I can't tell Brett and Rick, hey, I've got, I'm going to give you a combination to this safe. Sure. <laughs> right. Because you got, you got a lot of ears that can the, say, the ah, great, thanks The great for bank that. robbery of 1931. Well, yeah, and I, yeah, would right. think, I would think that would be a problem for, for new users. Mm-hmm. That you wouldn't be thinking, you'd be thinking, particularly in today's world where cell phones are so ubiquitous, right. you'd be thinking that you were on a closed system and you could have that conversation and, yeah. and you really can. And and the, we mentioned cell phones. Cell phones are very predictable usually. You know that you're going to get a phone call. If you want to call Rick on the cell phone or Rick calls you, you know that that's going to connect. The thing that's kind of fun if you will and mysterious about ham radio is you don't always know if the atmospheric conditions are going to allow you to make the connection from point a to point b that's the thing and i have witnessed because i've been at this so long i have witnessed some incredible what we would call anomalies where i could hear the caribbean islands on the very high frequency range using a hand uh, a handheld i could hear somebody in montego bay bellering in super super strong right here to the quad cities strange atmospheric conditions um and and can and and uh, things going on with uh, what we call e-skip there's the e-layer of the ionosphere and there's 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 signals bouncing around in there uh one time we had a very bad electrical storm here and physicists and and uh, astronomers and people that have studied this are, are still in disagreement about this kind of thing but it is possible with a severe lightning storm we haven't had a good electrical storm here in the quad cities for also right. knocking on the console so we don't <laughs> but but we had a really bad electrical storm yeah, in 1982 or so and i remember after that i was able to do all sorts of crazy things for about an hour and a half i was talking to short short communications on a on a frequency range where it's usually long communications okay uh-huh. so it was so so much fun and and uh uh you know you could hear the static yet in the sure you can hear that uh from the lightning you can hear every burst of the lightning so that's the difference cell phone very predictable you can do anything on a cell phone almost anything ham radio amateur radio yeah not as predictable very not that. yeah yeah, yeah. Well, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant, 
This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 516th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Sapsavital. My name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Dave Baker, Operations Manager and Program Director for KALA Radio at St. Ambrose University. We've been talking about the history of ham radio. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on our show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish everyone to experience the great Pasutu proverb, Hotza Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Mm-hmm.